You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And this is part two of our conversation about Doctor Who, The Giggle. I will say this. Let's try to go positive. RTD still writes some fantastic dialogue. He, he, he can get the characters when they're talking to each other, feel like people talking to each other most of the time. Once in a while, it's a little heavy handed, but there are a few moments in this episode where the Doctor and Donna or the Doctor and Mel are, are having uh, the chats and you're just like, yeah, RTD can can do things that other writers are not so adept at. <coughs> JMS. And um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you, you set know, the bar low there. I <laughs> uh, there are people out there who disagree with you very vehemently, but there we go. I well let let me just pick up on on that then, because because I'm not going to disagree with the di- I like I like RTD's dialogue. The the kind of the conversations. They're entertaining, and they they kind of strengthen the character rather than feeling like they're being led by the plot. But they're being led by something in certain cases, and that that does not always feel like it's completely earned. And that's what he what he's doing is is trying to kind of build up to a an emotional crescendo in the exchanges i think you see this in a lot of the doctor and donna's dialogue in this so he he is he is making the case that the doctor sort of never never stops never takes the time to decompress or consider what has happened and hasn't done so since he was william hartnell and i i think that so those kind of very um, charged scenes are one of the things that are oh. RTD's strength. But I also think he he's so keen to do it sometimes. He just goes for it. He just goes for it without considering whether it it's sort of earned, whether it whether it fits. And the problem with the three episode arc, and I think this touches on what I was talking about before, is that I think you can't do that beyond the three episodes that you're that you're writing, unless you really delve into what's gone in on in the episodes immediately preceding i think one of the kind of weaknesses of this arc although i can see why they've done it because of the disney stuff is that it doesn't touch on the reaction that the doctor may have to those final kind of parting parting exchanges with yaz or indeed everything that has happened with yaz and in many ways that could have fed into why the doctor needs to think about how that how they deal with their relationships probably more than just sort of needing a holiday in fact definitely more than needing a holiday because for goodness sake the doctor spent a year hanging around with amy and rory in the power of three and that was only a couple of incarnations back and there are countless other examples where we've had references to the doctor just spending time in thousands of years places. on the Christmas planet, for example. So, 
I think I, almost everything I've said about RTG's writing in the, in the past three episodes has been everything that is his strength is also his weakness. And I think, yeah, the dialogue is good, but where it doesn't always work for me is where he goes for this. This is the really emotionally charged scene, but he hasn't done the spade work to feel like it's earned. And you feel like, actually, no, I feel like I'm being manipulated a bit here. Whereas sort of as a as a kind of palate cleanser, I've been watching, I need a bit of a Moffat fix. I've been watching Moffat's adaptation of The Time Traveler's Wife. And you get the scenes where there's where they where because he can do he can do the kind of emotionally charged speeches, but when he writes them, it feels like it's genuinely built up to that, and uh, and in that sense, it's it's kind of earned. So, well, we did not get an explanation about the clothes and the regeneration. I knew we you did not get an explanation. About I do have something to say about the clothes, which is was so i wanted an explanation for that my worry i don't I, this is probably misfounded but my worry is that they decided i don't know whether this was tenant or whether this was davies or whether this was Conson or someone else they didn't want tenant in women's clothes because i can't i can't see why they did that regeneration scene differently and when chibnall did it he had Sasha Dewan wearing her earring and everything. Yeah. So it, it it was a kind of break with, so not only just like very recently established continuity, but literally within that episode continuity. The other yep. possible explanation is that because of the bi-generation, he didn't want the Doctor to have to be necessarily in the same costume because he couldn't have two doctors in the same costume. And what he's done here is a bit of a mishmash. Gatwa gets the tie and the shoes, yeah. but the, the shirt, shirt. And well, no, because Tennant's still wearing the shirt. So they're both wearing the same no, shirt. No, he's wearing a he different shirt. No, it it's looks to me different... more like some sort of a night shirt or something. It's a different, it's a different type of shirt. I, I mean, I think that was an undershirt or I don't know. I, I think was starting... it, was, it was something different because you, you guys dress differently than we do in Arizona where, undershirts are frequently <laughs> way too much right it's like you know it's like no I, I i was thinking about this the other day this is true i don't i own exactly one long sleeve shirt and have never had more than one in my life at a time and that's only to put on under a suit so you know we just we don't have the same i don't have the same clothes on but i was looking very closely it looks to me like it's a slightly different material like something more linen-y but it does still have a seem to have a collar so yeah, I think he's there with no underpants. I, and... I was wondering about the underpants. I, I've got a question mark there. I thought the shirt had been duplicated. There was only one tie and shoes, and, and Gatwa got both of them. And then the trousers and the and the waistcoat, Tenant keeps. And, I, you know, yeah. there's absolutely no logic or sense to any of that. But then as, I'm not going to oh. go back to the bi-generation and logic and sense. But that was it on the clothes. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't get that, and it it's still... I'll stand with, he could have had the scene with Tennant standing there in Whitaker's clothes because that's where the episode ended. And the next one open and opens with him stepping out into London, obviously days later. Yes. Time later. He could have just been wearing clothes. He's like, he's gone back. He, he did not need a scene with him going and doing the clues. <laughs> like that was, that was a ridiculous explanation of why he didn't want to do that. And 
I, I don't, I don't, it just annoys. Don't think, don't think. I, yeah. But there has, has to be some reason. The, 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 you know, I, I say I'd have made different decisions when, you know, some of these things get signed off. But my, what I am correct about is that all of these decisions get poured over and examined by multiple separate people. So the decision to regenerate tenant into different clothes was something that, you know, would have been thought thought through by the costume department and by the director of that episode and obviously by RTD, probably not by Chibnall, but um, certainly by some producer and all all of them would have, I'm sure, raised the question, shouldn't he be wearing her outfit and decided that for whatever reason, no. The, the subtitles. Don't know if you watch with the subtitles on. I just want nope. to point out that the subtitles on Disney absolutely say 10th Doctor in all the scenes where there are two doctors, which I thought, oh, that's interesting. Okay. So are, are we... The toy maker takes his. I seem to recall that there was something about the toy makers uh, from the original. I have read the book, but boy, has it been a long time. I seem to recall that the toy maker's mo was when you lost, the price he extracted was that you he turned you into a toy of some kind. I, I I feel like that was part of the part of the horror of it that that his toy room is populated with toys who were people stooky yeah. bill stooky sue stooky bobbies people who lost possibly but that and if so did donna murder stooky sue well yeah she did i mean regardless of whether it's a person or not <laughs> okay. that was, that was pretty was violent my name is donna and i think you're a goner yeah that was a good line too um it was nice to see mel but why yeah why mel Oh no! I, well, then, I don't know. I mean, no. I well, okay. So this wasn't a this wasn't a surprise. In fact, nothing in this episode is a surprise. There was that there was that video where RTD said, you know, avoid spoilers. I have no idea what yeah. what he was saying. You probably the by generation, generation is what he was. Yeah, we the, 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 it wasn't a spoiler in the sense that we knew Bonnie Langford was coming back. Although I thought she was coming back uh, with in the series Gatwa. Shouldn't say so this was yeah, yeah earlier. Yeah. Than I realised, but I, I I think the reason that they're bringing her back is because they think Bonnie Langford is great, and I'm not going to argue with that at all. I'm probably feeling slightly disappointed that she. I mean, I know it was set up in Power of the Daleks, but that she's just sort of now another kind of unit grunt. I mean, she's not obviously, but it's like, does everyone have to be working for unit now? I, I I can see Kate's uh, point of view on that. You got a group of well, people yeah. who are who are vested in dealing with aliens and have proven themselves to be defenders of sure an understanding. No, of the I, I I absolutely see her point of view on that, and I'm and I'm kind of fine with that. And I would have been disappointed if I thought this was it. Donna for needed a child. Well, the fact that Donna is now working for Unit is going to cause problems when. You know, we have unit stories in the future and Catherine Tate isn't in them, but hey-ho. <laughs> Maybe she spills coffee on the Vlinks and uh, and Who destroys them when they have to fire yeah. her. Yeah, there we go. That I, seems fair. I, I, so I, I, think I, I think I would have been disappointed if this was it for Mel, but as it is, 
you know, it, it's nice to see her and I'm looking forward to more Mel. I, I, I will pick up on something that I said about Chibnall that I now need to retract because okay. I got quite cross, I think, when we were talking about Power of the Doctor, about the fact that when he brought um, Tegan and Ace back, he stuck in some dialogue about they're not having seen the Doctor for a certain number of years, which basically trom trampled all over the, the big finish stuff that had established what they had actually been doing in those intervening years so that they, they couldn't be continuous. And I and I was cross about it partly because I kind of think that's unnecessary. It's like when when he does a Mary Shelley story, of course he's got to basically rewrite the big finish Mary Mary Shelley stuff. They you know, he couldn't fit it around that. But with this, it would be easy. I said I said, I think at the time, there's no way R T D would have done that. <laughs> so now RTD sticks in some There's utterly no pointless would have dialogue. That. He sticks in some utterly pointless dialogue. Well, actually, it's true. Moffat wouldn't. It, the Moffat, the one who actually walked out of that initial big finish planning meeting, is the one that, who has been most respectful, actually sticking the names of companions into Night of the Doctor. But RTD, who we know absolutely, you know, listens to big finish, enjoys it, has ripped off uh, at least two is it two or three of the big finish stories to make into episodes now but he doesn't okay. he doesn't need to kind of do all that stuff about what happened to Samalong Blitz that co that contradicts the stuff I was talking about earlier that big finish have been writing in order to continue Mel's storyline later in her timeline they they have a version of her leaving Samalong Blitz which is not after he's died from tripping over a whiskey bottle or whatever it is. I mean, Big Finish will deal with it. They'll probably have her go back. I mean, it's difficult now Tony Selby is dead, but they'll probably have her go back to Sabalon Glitz in her personal timeline, reunite with him and that, so that she can see well, him. Well, that will help, actually. What? Big Finish can fix their problem then because the, the other one is... He is too young. Uh, 20, maybe 60 I don't know. I mean, 20. I don't know how old Tony Selby, the actor, was, was when they he made... He would have been 83 this year, I think, if he was still alive. Something like that. Okay, so, yeah, 20, 20 more years of age on Mel for him to have been 101. Assuming that, you know, he's an alien, maybe he was already 95, and we just don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, you can make that argument, or you can say that Mel left... Savalon Glitz went off with the fifth doctor. I don't know if that's what happened. I haven't heard those stories. I'm just getting it from what you said. And then he drops her back off. Uh, she picks up with Savalon Glitz when he's 99. And, oh, uh, I landed yeah. at the wrong time. Sorry. Now I can't do anything about it or I'll cross the timeline. So, okay, fine. Back no, they, with my they, agent. They can boyfriend. fix that. They can fix it. They, they, the thing that annoyed me was just that, 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 that kind of, that little bit of dialogue didn't really add anything it was it was kind of pointless fan service whereas in the video commentary rtd mentions that he wrote he wrote a bit during the regeneration scene where mel starts say, saying that she'd seen this before in lucasia and tenant sort of says do you mind because he said the middle of regeneration and i was thinking well, that would have been hilarious so you know it would have done the fan service bit but it would actually have served a purpose in terms of creating a comedy moment whereas yeah. You know what? What you get there 
didn't. And it it wasn't it wasn't the only it wasn't the only example of it. I don't see why they he has to be explicit about the toy maker having only met the doctor once before, because Big Finish have 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 done the Magic Mouse Trap yeah. and Solitaire and a version of Nightmare Fair, which was going to be the sixth Doctor story when Colin Baker and Michael Goff were going to face off against each other again. And two, it, it's a shame he's kind of erased those because two of those are absolutely brilliant. I do think Nightmare Fair is dreadful, but I would I would definitely well, recommend that. Anything from that season was going to be dreadful. You knew it was. Um, yes. <laughs> it's why they didn't um, make it and why Big Finish should have not made it either. But hey-ho. Yeah, yeah. Well, hope maybe I know you'd guessed it, but we definitely need Moffat's hand back here to fix a bunch of this stuff. Um, and I just throw in here from the commentary, Moffat did save us from one thing. Oh, go Apparently, on. he uh, he saw the opening credits that RTD had made, the new ones, and they had included oh, a scene me. where the Doctor and Donna are hanging out the door of the TARDIS, waving as they go by, and Moffat was like, "Now you got to take that out." And, and he did it with according to RTD. Yes, so, he had it for them as well for the new credits. He's like, you got to take that out. Just take it out. Like, but I was thinking, no, take it out. <laughs> and he did it, which is like, thank you. Listen to Moffat <laughs> more I, often, I, uh, please. I think I'm sure you're Much right. I'm sure often. you're right. But there is a little bit of me that wants to see what that looked like. I'll see how bad it was. That that would be to me as bad as Sylvester McCoy's wink, winking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Uh, it was like, oh, it is don't, terrible. Don't. Yeah, don't do that. So that would just be another JNT RTD comparison. <laughs> the wave. The wave is the wink. Um, <laughs> I think Colin Baker's smile was bad enough, but, but the wink was terrible. Uh, the wink was terrible. Clearly, Bernard Cribbins had either died or become incapable of working between filming the last one and filming this one. Yep. Um, that, that scene was very poorly done, hiding, well, just basically... There is that scene where Donna says, you're going to take him and you're going to get him to safety. And like, there's nothing there because it's just being completely obscured. There is, we do see a scene where somebody in a hat with a down his head down is slightly being turned, but yeah. And I, and I, you know, it's a, it's a shame. I, I, I wondered why the last episode had the, in memory of Bernard Cribbins um, dedication to, because you know right at the end where they materialize and bernard cribbins is there and you think oh right he's going to be a big character in the next story it's his but last it appearance me on screen that's why slightly strange well it was his last appearance on screen but i thought it wasn't going to be his last appearance on screen having yeah. having seen him appear there i thought you know even if he only appeared and i did know he hadn't been able to film all the scenes that they'd intended to but i thought if he was only appearing briefly there there would still be you know, the other half of that scene, as it were, in this episode, and they would dedicate this one. But I, I get it now. I get it. And that 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 point I was making when we were talking about the Star Beast of, of how they had written in that uh, tribute to Nicholas Courtney when, yeah. he, when he died and, what, you know, why yeah. why they were making jokes about Wilf not being dead. And again, on the video commentary... RTD wrote in yeah. a scene about Wolf having died, a kind of tribute to it, and that got cut because it, apparently it's not very happy. But you know, I'm well, already... Colin's Phil Collinson, 
supposedly was like, no, you gotta, you gotta do a happy end. I, I, I asked, which would be better? I mean, I, I think if anybody could have written one that was appropriate and not brought the mood down and yet still was somber enough, I think it was RDD. I think that's, I think that's he could have done it. And I, and I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing about the re, the regeneration is that happy ending. It, it's it's it, well it's not necessarily a happy ending it's a way of dealing with loss you know the fact is tenant is going if you like tenant's doctor sorry but that's that you're you're losing him and you know death the ultimate loss bernard cribbins is no longer with us and you know i the show it would be nice if the show paid tribute to you know the contributions that he has made over the years and i think as you say it could that could have been done in a way it's sad but at the same time you know it celebrates, celebrates him rather than just takes the takes the mood down so you know another thing about that that final scene in in um wild blue yonder i realized that as you say they couldn't film all the scenes they wanted to film for him in the uh, in this episode in the giggle but his lines of dialogue in Wild Blue Yonder do not fit. Oh, thank goodness you're here. I I sent all the others to safety and I'm going to wait here for you. It's like, does RTD not even write, read his own scripts? Because if they, who have not traveled in the TARDIS, are also affected by the giggle, then they're not going to go. I got them to safety. No, you're not. You're not going to convince them to do anything they don't want to do. It's like... Was Wilf in the TARDIS? Yes. Didn't he travel I in the TARDIS? I don't remember. I don't remember him traveling in, in the TARDIS. In the episode where the Doctor died. The end of time. Wilf was his companion. Yeah. I think he took him with it. Not for long, but I think he took a trip in it. I do remember them being on a space station looking at her. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That must yeah. have been in the TARDIS. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Because I was wondering, there was that explanation that traveling in the TARDIS somehow stopped you being affected by the giggle. But I have explanation. I have questions about that, part, partly which is, is that consistent with people who are and are not affected by it? And also, why? Why? But, why? You know, it, it keeps you mind. out of sync. Yeah, don't think, don't think. Don't think, don't think. It's. I want to know is how Unit managed to get the VDEXs Zdex is built. If two days ago they all went mad too, with the exception of Mel and the Vlinks, did Mel and the Vlinks make one and then one by one get the unit staff back? There's a well, story the implication there. Was the Vlinks already had one? It was Vlinks Tech, wasn't it? But how they manufactured them, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I I, I didn't think that that it was. I thought he invented it, but I thought he invented it in response to the crisis. But it's not stated explicitly either way. But uh, yeah, um, let's see. Ah, that is all I had about the episode itself. Wow. All right. Well, let, no, now we've got stuff on the episode and I'm going to pick up with, okay. you know, what we we're just talking about in terms of whether traveling in the TARDIS uh, immunizes you against this phenomenon of the giggle. Because I've got a question about, because you've got Logie Bad at the beginning of it, right? And, and but the but the giggle... It, it apparently what we're told is it is in every screen so yep which of course yeah my, my point here is that but it's but television isn't screens right well i mean i didn't 
I don't know how we want to define television, but an essential part of it is to do with transmission. If it's screens, right, cinema, cinema's been around for a while. In fact, you know, you could even say what the butler saw machines are, are screens of a sense. If it's the particular, particular tech that Logie Baird invented, um, That's that well, news. actually, Logie Baird's mechanical televisions are not like the, the cathode ray tube televisions that actually right. made television popular in the 20th century. And anyway, in the 21st century, cathode ray tubes right. are no longer around. They were, you know, they were going yeah. out in the 90s. So I I have no idea what was going on there, but, you know, okay. Toy maker I'm magic. Right. See, toy maker magic. He can do that because he's the toy maker and physical laws don't apply to him. But and then that's he doesn't literally need, what we were told, yeah. that he didn't anyway. need the satellites or the TVs. Or, he didn't, didn't, or, didn't need that. So, But I, my question was just, why put Logie Baird in it? And I, I, I couldn't see a reason for that. I mean, ironically enough. supposed to be educational. Remember, Scotsman invented TV. Ironically enough, I think you could have put Logie Baird into last year's big November special, The Power of the Doctor, which was... Uh, supposedly the the kind of celebration of a hundred years of the BBC, but actually for me, just in just in terms of you know, we've talked about whether these are anniversary specials or just a mini season of Doctor Who, and for me this felt like a mini season of Doctor Who, and last yeah. year's Power of the Doctor was what I feel like an anniversary special is. I mean that had had 50th anniversary vibes in it because of Tegan and Ace and all the past doctors turning up. So, but I, yeah, I, in terms of Logie Baird being, being in it, that did not really make any sense to me. It just seemed to be trying to take that plot from the silence story and the moon landings and kind of trying to reapply it, but not actually it fitting. Yeah. The toy maker, I'm not. I've, we've kind of done most of the toy maker stuff, but I do have to mention. I I kind yeah. of quite like. I, I everyone was very excited about Neil Patrick Harris or Patrick Neil Harris or Harris Patrick Neil, Neil Patrick or whatever Harris. his name is, who I wasn't familiar with. I did think he was very very good. What what was the German accent, the cod German accent about? Is that kind of because He's again games? I know with the celestial toy maker that there are reasons why it is considered offensive. Yes. I haven't seen it. So is this, a, is this a way of just doing kind of some much milder form of offensive? I mean, like, I found this, I'm not quite sure if it was offensive Other or form of really, offensive. really annoying, but it, it was definitely... That's annoying? Exactly. <laughs> the kind of bad, cod German accent. I thought it was slightly offensive, actually. I, I, I will say I was vaguely amused afterwards. My wife said to me, she said, now, I was I was really impressed when he was doing the German accent because he sounds exactly like the math teacher we have at school because they have a German math teacher. So <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's what a German sounds like to an American, which Neil Patrick Harris is an American. Um, He's American. Which I have... Yes. Okay. Yes, he's Doogie Hauser. He's the original Doogie Hauser. Oh. oh, okay. That's who he is. Well, well, well. Um, and I think he was in some he was in another sitcom, a big one. Uh 
which I've never seen an episode of. Uh, How I Met Your Mother, I believe. He is, no, I haven't he is seen the that obnoxious. Either. I haven't seen Doogie Howser, but I've heard of it. I haven't seen Doogie Howser, but you've heard of it, yeah. There's a new Doogie Howser out now. I think it's a different child doctor but yeah it's uh, yeah that, that is him. yeah i can see i, he I don't know if you noticed the, the teeth did you notice he's wearing prosthetic tooth. teeth no oh no the rest of them he had like two or three times as many teeth as a human being in his no, mouth i didn't bother it was a, it was a prosthetic piece they did on purpose a couple of his smiles you'll catch it and they're like that looks wrong it's a very subtle effect it's a very subtle effect and i never would have even looked for it if I hadn't heard him in an interview after it saying, I've got this mouthpiece in for the teeth. I'm like, and, and then you look at it and like, Oh yeah, he's got at least 30 teeth in the front when he smiles. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's creepy looking. That's a, a very subtle special effect, but uh, I don't know if it's effective because I'm, it just, it just put me off a little bit, but it didn't, uh, you know, I think he's from Hollywood. So I figured he just had a bright, shiny, pearly smile anyway. We meant we mentioned the master's teeth, and that that's obviously a setup. But there was also a lot of other kind of fan service continuity in there. We've talked about Sablon Glitz as well, but the Guardians, the, the yep. White Guardian, They're Black dead. Guardian, Trial of a Time Lord, um, being exiled to Earth, Key to Time, Legopolis, uh, Adric. Bit of a spoiler there. For Ragnarok. Everything on. Gods of Ragnarok, uh, River Song, The Time War, Mavic Chen, Pandorica. Mavic Chen, One, there's a, that's fan service. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, yeah. Because are there any surviving episodes of Mavic Chen? Don't believe so. Don't think so. No, because well, they don't, I don't think they know what anybody looks like. You know, Maybe, maybe that, that means that one of them are going to get animated. But but what what does what does Sarah Jane has gone mean? To a time traveler. I mean, obviously she's dead, but yeah. Yeah, but... Well, just like the Brigadier, though. They mourned the yes, death of the uh, Brigadier. Matt Smith mourned the death of the Brigadier, even though he could go back in time and see him again. Yes. But it why... That, there, there was a reason for that, in the sense that he was he was checking in on the Brigadier in that time and place. Yeah. But this is this comes out of nowhere, saying Sarah, Sarah Jane has gone. Can you believe that? Well... Okay, but you know, if if you were hundred years in the future having that conversation, which they easily could have been, Joe Grant has gone as well, you know. So, I mean, goodness me, much would hopefully Katie Manning is has not gone um, by the time this podcast airs, but, or a hundred years from now. But you know, pick, yeah, pick, pick her as pick her as an example. Yeah, I'm 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 just you know I'm just saying it's. It felt like a forced wall breaking thing. Um, not sure. Not sure that I needed all of that fan service, but I guess that's what we're getting as a substitute for it being a proper 60th anniversary celebration. Well, that and that and the fact that we get Trinity Wells back. You mentioned all of the things that were present from the last of the Time Lords, but you didn't mention Trinity Wells, and Trinity Wells has not appeared in the show since the end of time. Why? What is it that RTD has got for that character or that actor? I don't get, get it. She gets an entire, there's an entire episode of a, a big finish, you know, an hour long play that centers on her character from the Lives of Captain Jack series. So 
I'm sure the Trinity Wells fan base are are celebrating. Naturally enough, the big finish version was actually good. Every time I see Trinity Wells on the screen, and this is a terrible thing to say, but but it's true because this is not me. This is American television. She's supposed to be the American television host, and I just find it hard to believe that they would hire someone, particularly back when Doctor Who was first showing, that wasn't absolutely perfect. And (laughs) because that's how they hire women on television in the United States. It's very, very, very rare for an actual journalist to make it onto TV news reading a female journalist, right? There are very few and far between. And if Trinity Wells is supposed to be that, we don't get that. So it's just the first reaction is you see somebody pop up on the, oh, that's a guest on a news program. Because guests on news people can be, you know, look like normal human beings, but the hosts have to be perfect, <laughs> young and perfect. And it's like, wow, okay. I could see her running a conspiracy website, which obviously she is now, but <laughs> anti, uh, yeah, anti critics. There's, there's our COVID comment. COVID vaccine comment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to say once again in this episode, we had it last time. We have it this episode again. And it it leads into a comment, something RTD said in the, in the show. But once again, basically, when Shirley asks, how the heck does Toymaker do that? And the doctor says, basically, you're too stupid to understand. Right. You you can't understand it. So don't even bother because you can't understand it, which is him talking to the audience saying, don't bother to pick this apart because it's not going to make any sense. So you can just which, of course, it doesn't, which is don't think. And he it's like so. But once you do that, once you say that the toy maker can do anything and anything that makes no sense whatsoever, then suddenly you go, well, then why did he waste his time doing it the way that he did do this? It doesn't make sense. But but we got into that. But it, it it's just it's like this is at least the second in a row. And I don't remember if there was a moment like that in the first one now, but you know, this ties into the fact that, Oh, I cast salt at the end of the universe. And now I've let all the bad things in. And the toy maker was one of the bad things. RTD does say in this commentary that he likes having these godlike beings because they can do anything. I, he, maybe he's not, realizing what he's telling us here when he says that but he is telling us i don't like being constrained in what i can tell in my fantasy story and there are more gods coming back these legions are following the boss was obviously not the toy maker no and there is there's a thing hiding in the universe that even the toy maker is afraid to challenge so is afraid of yes more that's probably the boss and yeah and and but you know he also said well you know we should have the gods of ragnarok back it's like oh no really i i'm not one of the people who thinks that that particular episode of doctor who was a good one (laughs) what is that circus at the greatest show in the galaxy there we go yes um but yeah i i'm not of course maybe he likes those episodes of a big finish where they're up against the the gods. I I find it problematic from a storytelling point of view. But yeah, that that is unfortunately that's coming. And salt at the end of the universe is that is that a superstition or did you literally make that superstition up to <laughs> to to make an excuse? No, that is a, that is a superstition. And because because, what, what, where because are, who, whoever thought end of the universe would be a place where you could 
cast salt. I don't, I don't understand that superstition then. What, what, what is it specifically? No, no, no. The, this, this, so the superstition is that I, I forget whether it's vampires or something else, but the super, superstition is that you can keep them out with salt. The line zombies. in zombies, what well, okay. The line in Wild Blue Yonder is because this is at the edge of the universe, I shouldn't have done that because at the edge of the universe, anything can happen, which is obviously a foreshadowing line uh, in the same way that the thing hiding in the universe, the bosses, the legions are coming, the master's tooth. But, but it does it does make it difficult. And I think we've had this with every showrunner of Doctor Who is that they put these clues in and sometimes like the Doctor wearing a different jacket in Matt Smith's first season turns out to be a huge reveal. And sometimes the Doctor regenerating into a different set of clothes turns out just to have no consequence whatsoever. Or the word gravity becoming gravity appears to have no consequence whatsoever. So I'm not quite sure which things to attach any significance to. Did they say gravity in this episode at all? Didn't didn't hear them say gravity or gravity. Hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to forget that too. Yeah, I think yep. it was one episode. come on. Come back, fix, fix some stuff. <laughs> maybe, maybe just uh, maybe RTD can write the whole season and just have Moffat come in for the final episode of each season and go, okay, now fix it. You clean up what I made the mess of. The tragedy, the tragedy is that the thing, the things that I'm now remembering about watching RTD stuff was that I like, I like the small RTD episodes, the the ones that aren't the big kind of story arc episodes. Right. But actually, the thing I mainly looked forward to was every episode. Whereas every season was the episode that Stephen Moffat writes. Moffat wrote, yes. And yes. we're not going to get that. You know, Moffat is not going to come back. So, But but RTD said exactly the same thing. I will never write for Doctor Who again. They both said it. But that, but but I think I think it's, I'm not going to write for someone else running the show. You know, I'm not going to have someone else picking over my script or making the kind of final creative decision. Somebody should be picking over that. his script. I th- I I think they should. I think he, you know, he needs he needs he needs someone to yeah to set to kind of sense check some of his ideas because he's very good at the idea generation stuff, and he himself is actually very careful. I think of not overworking some of his ideas because he doesn't want to lose the freshness of it, which is fair enough. But if he can't rework some of these things or can't spot what he needs to keep and what he needs to chuck. I think that's where having a a script editor with some authority to do that would be a possibly a good idea. Yeah, I I, I have a hard time believing the script editor can say no to RTD, but you know, yeah. Um, okay, so you know, for all the things that we pick on here about how RTD, I'm I'm using the term loosely, messed up the Doctor Who universe. Moffat comes in, fixes all sorts of stuff. Which he did, you know, and he, makes he his came own, in and I think. but yes, he can, he, yes, he can. But he, you know, he had his plan and he he fixed it out. RTD doesn't usually seem to care about these things, but I feel like maybe, just maybe, maybe he handed us a prize in this episode when he said, when the toy maker said to the doctor, "I made a puzzle of your past." And suddenly, all of the Chibnall Timeless Child crap became something the toy maker did. 
And because it doesn't have to make sense because the toy maker is a god and can do anything, we can now go, well, okay, there can be other doctors that they think they're from before the first doctor because he did that to screw with the doctor's head. Okay. I, th- I think yeah. I think that line was definitely a I think that's exactly what it was. It was a new it's the new time war, in effect. Yeah, it's we've cleaned that I've just cleaned that slate. Now the past is the past. Although I was gonna say the other alternative is this. Although, you know, the time yeah, I, I prefer that one. But they say when they buy generate, they say what's well, a myth? It never happened. It's like, well, if it's a myth, how did well why what made you think what event happened to make there be a myth about the idea of bi-generating? Why, why would that idea have even sprung forth unless it has, in fact, actually happened? And did it happen before William Hartnell? So was Hartnell a Gatwa? Was he a bi-generation split? And then and he didn't get to keep his memories. I don't know. That doesn't work. Literally, the, TARDIS, the whole that, thing doesn't work. Everything works, that is a myth. In Doctor Who turns out to be something real, you be know. True. Uh, Grace is that's right. It's yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it always works out that way because that's storytelling in our in this kind of universe. So, you know, it must have happened in the past. Hopefully, it wasn't Rassilon, but <laughs> but but you know, I, I prefer the toy maker just screwed with the Doctor's past, and so. All right, it's kind of it, it did happen, but it didn't really happen. But I've remade reality, so it did. So eh. it's like I'll take that. I will. I will accept that one. I don't like it, but that one I can take. The bit where the William Hartnell is not the first Doctor, and William Hartnell gets a TARDIS and is surprised that it's stuck in a police box form after that makes no sense for there to be all those other doctors with a blue police tie that doesn't work but by but by plunking down and shuffling it around a little bit uh okay all right fine whatever (laughs) i'll take it i'll take that as at best i'm ever going to get at fixing the flux well i'm not sure it fixes well it can fix anything but that wasn't the flux well i think the flux is yeah no the flux is part of it because the flux was created as part of the whole you are the timeless child. We need to get you back to do our our business thing. So yeah, the flux was a consequence of that, of the timeless child. So yeah, no, yeah, that, that fixes the flux. It doesn't fix the fact that half the universe is gone, including apparently Scaro and, exactly. and all the other planets but uh, that, that, that are gone. But yeah, um, I think it, it does it does help. Um, Let's see. Uh, here's one. I think, my opinion, I, I understand why they did it. I feel like in the scene at the end, when there are two TARDISes, David Tennant opens the TARDIS, bends down, pops out the wheelchair ramp, and then everyone makes a big deal out of the, big, the wheelchair ramp, which in its way is a big deal. I don't disagree. I feel that scene would have played so much better if he had undone, he'd just opened the doors popped the ramp and said, come on in, Shirley. And they all walked inside to look at the TARDIS. Well, walked, sorry, wrong word there. Ambled, ambulated. Is ambulated even correct? Moved. They all moved inside the TARDIS 
and looked around and were like, wow, that's amazing, TARDIS. That would be enough calling attention to it. And it would be like everyone who was ever wanting there to be a wheelchair ramp in the TARDIS would be like, there is a wheelchair ramp in the TARDIS. This is a great day for representation. And 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 I agree. But you could also go back and say, hey, you know, it just never came up before. But yeah, it's always been there. I, I have to say that, uh, I mean, again, this is the, the big Finnish thing in me. Although I, I mentioned before, I haven't had the, the Hebe episodes. But I, I thought if you had just flipped it open so that Shirley could go in, then... You did, you know, you could have just assumed it had always been there. Maybe it had, maybe it right. hadn't, but you know, it fits with whatever had canon you need it to fit with. But it's still obviously there. Yeah, it's the first time we've seen it on screen. It's it's very obviously being used. It's making the point. And I no, I, I I think I I agree entirely. I agree with you entirely. They did not use it. They should have at least let them go inside the TARDIS for crying out loud. They have a wheelchair ramp accessible TARDIS, and they did not take the wheelchair user into the TARDIS. They just stood around outside. Mel just stood around outside, not going, I'd like to look in the TARDIS again. What? Yeah. yeah. It didn't make, didn't make any sense. And, you know, I, if you see some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, the actors who played Shirley, I don't know, was, you know, cried when they saw that um, because it's so important. And I, I, I get that. Uh, but, it just feels like by flipping it out and going, hey, look, surely we'll hear you and you can't use it. Sorry, stay out. But also you're so signaling it. You're signaling it, but you're not showing it as being just the way things ought to be. I don't know. It just, I it, it was nice, but it could have been better, I think. Um, is that the um, same backyard from the Star Beast? Whoa. When did we see it in the Star Beast? That's where the shed was. Oh, God. Doesn't look it, no. It probably is. It's probably just filmed from a completely different well, angle. Maybe it's, maybe it's Mom's house. I guess it could be. Yeah, because... It, yeah, it could be. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. No idea. No idea. Let's see. I want to say something positive because, you know, I feel like I spend most of this recording... 115 minutes of recording time. <laughs> she got it. <laughs> I I I have previously kind of criticized the fact that RTD has come back and sort of it felt like he'd swept aside everything that had come before and he has gone out of his way obviously this the stuff about Amy and Clara and Bill and the flux and the illusion Rory. In last week's episodes the time of child not not Rory not Graham or Ryan he died too. Oh, I see what you mean. He's yeah, picking picking on the ones who died. Well, I kind of see. I, I don't know. I kind died of see ish. why. The the um the big but the big difference I think is that he has written for Kate Stewart, who is not his character. So she was written by originally by Chibnall in the Stephen Moffat run show. So post-dating RTD, although mm-hmm. she has been around for, I mean, it has been a while. She's been playing the role for 11 years, and Nick Courtney was playing the Brigadier for 21 years, so she's you know, she's getting there. She's met seven Doctors now, seven incarnations of the Doctor, I should say, if I'm being true to myself. 
but I thought that the way RTD wrote her was excellent. Yeah, it was very yeah, very much kind of consistent with the Kate that we've seen, and in some ways truer to the the kind of Moffat era Kate than the the Chibnall version, as in the the version that has been in the Chibnall run show, rather than yeah. the version that he introduced in the Paris right. three. So. I, I I enjoyed her in this episode. Really glad that she's come back. Still slightly upset that Osgood isn't there. Yeah. And has now been superseded by Shirley. I really, really want Osgood to come back, but she's clearly not going to. But it is it yeah. is lovely having having that recurring character and I, I you know, I think Jeremy Redgrave is great. So long may she continue. I thought it was interesting that, you know, in the very in the Chibnall episode in 42 are you talking about power of three or are you talking about 42? Power of three there we go i don't know <laughs> the power of three 42 was was in the rtd era and didn't have kate stewart yeah that was yeah that was also chibnall though wasn't it yeah 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 no, it was a chibnall episode but okay was... all right well at least i got that all right power of three in the power of three uh matt smith's doctor says kate lethbridge stewart and just kate stewart and subsequently has been Kate Stewart ever since. Yeah. Yep. Until this one. When Tenet goes, Kate, left rid Stewart. Nothing. Hug. Go on. Seems to be seems to be that RTD likes the Lethbridge Stewart better than Stewart, and I agree with him on that. If I had a cool I, hyphenated I, I, name like that, I would definitely use it. I don't I don't know, but my my because it's been established as Kate Stewart, I wanted to stay as Kate Stewart. So my Thinking on that is just that she's just got bored of correcting him. Well, see, he's a future doctor now. If he'd been an earlier doctor, if he'd been the 10th doctor, he wouldn't have known that because he hadn't met her yet. But yeah, anyway. Well, but he has, the 10th doctor has met her. He's just forgotten about it. Well, yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, but he forgot about her. Will that happen now between the bi-generational doctors when they meet each other? Will one forget the other? crossing time what if, I what, if, not, what, if I, what if 14 well, meets the next incarnation of gatwa but he's actually 14 from further in the ah, no anything that rtd says in the video commentary is not canon <laughs> it, it is canon as long as he's the toy maker playing with us he's got to get it on playing screen games for, for me to even start to get upset about it <laughs> and and you got your wish and I told you it was exactly what was going to happen. I told you it was exactly what was going to happen. They were going to put some furniture in that TARDIS to make it look like, oh, see, it's got a jukebox now. I will and say. presumably it's going to get a seat. I know. I think that's just because that was the suggestion for the old man's TARDIS. I think Gatwa doesn't need to sit down. He's too cool. I will say I was right. It does look better with Gatwa in it. <laughs> what is that? A contrast thing? Like a color contrast, <laughs> why does it look better with him? I don't understand that statement, but okay. Because because it's new and because he's got he's slick, he's kind of got a much more I don't know. I don't know. It's not like it's not like Tennant was ever fuddy daddy or whatever. He I guess he had his own kind of style and everything. But because of the I guess because of the sand shoes and because of the grungy old TARDIS he used to live in, it just didn't feel like it fitted him. Whereas this feels a bit more like it fits Gatwa's Doctor. I'm not saying I like it. And to be honest, it could just be, this is three episodes of seeing it. 
the kind of initial dislike is just starting to wear off. But I did say at the time, I wondered if new TARDIS, new Doctor, I might like it better. Mm. It doesn't hurt Whitaker's TARDIS never got less ugly with time. You know, sometimes, now I, I will say this, you build a set, you make a TV show, and there are good camera angles and there are bad camera angles. And as series go along, you learn the good angles and the bad angles, right? So you, you'll you see a show that's a long-running show. You'll see, well, well, we've decided to concentrate on this because it makes a better shot or makes better composition and it looks better in the long run. And, you know, hopefully as they get going, uh, you know, they did say in the commentary they blew their budget making that so there's no more rooms uh, for the TARDIS. And I'm like, why did you waste <laughs> your money on that big space? Why did you waste your money on that big space? Why, why, why? Geez, Bill Collinson, I thought you were doing a good job as a producer. Why didn't you stop them on that one and go, it can be half the size and it'll still be phenomenal. I agree about the camera angles. I, I, I thought that that shot where Gatsway is high up and he's talking down to Tennant at the console, is that, that may be the shot that made me feel like it's not so bad after all. I think with the, um, with the jukebox, there's going to be a pop music interlude in every episode from now on i'm certainly looking forward to that i missed the pop music i'm not we had a bit more with jibnall i mean rara rasputin was good in power of the doctor that was okay because it's kind of funny because he was rasputin <laughs> yeah but you're right i mean it, it dating the episode it, if that it didn't is that really in the end of the world work <laughs> it was it was the best thing about the the end of the world uh, it didn't what work, it was called, but then it was a great but, gag. But, it was a great gag because the whole point about it was it had to be something contemporary because they called it classical. Plus, you know, Toxic is an excellent song. 70,000 classical eras between Rose's time and the end of the world. But yeah, Toxic will never be not classical. It's too I honestly had never heard that song before it came on and I've never heard it since anywhere other than that show so was it popular <laughs> it was it was extremely popular um i i don't have anything else like i said i i i, I want to be clear here as here we are two hours in and probably going to split this into two podcasts <laughs> but but here we are two, two hours into this i want to say i did not hate this episode it's the ramifications of this episode that i mean i, I didn't it, it was, you know, on par with Wild Blue Yonder. It was, yeah. Oh, God, no. So I enjoyed bits of it. But but all the mythos and the, the things that have just been, uh, those those will hurt for years to come. And so in the end, no, this was not a good episode of Doctor Who. It was not a good way to introduce Gatwa. It was not a good way to send Tenet to the farm. It was <laughs> to the pasture to enjoy grazing as an old man. Put it, oh, oh, I just I just had a terrible phrase in my mind. It's like, please tell me we haven't put him out to stud. Oh, no, 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 no. <sighs> I, 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 I thought it was I thought it was very tough on Gatwa because normally when you have your first moments as the doctor and it's only a few moments in the episode that end that you, you know you regenerate at the end of an episode you have a few moments maybe a line or two but all eyes are on you and mm -hmm. i i don't think it will here is sharing stage 
Well, yeah, and actually your second fiddle because the lead actor is the one who's been leading for the whole episode. I don't think it I don't think it will affect him in the long term. I you know, I think I've already kind of taken to him as the doctor. I haven't rewatched the whole episode. What I did was I rewatched from the by generation onwards because I wanted to focus entirely on his performance for that part of it. And I I think he's great. I have obviously watched the trailer for the Christmas episode and I think the line delivery in that is phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to seeing him lead. I do have one comment. I mean, uh, I said it online, I'll say it here. It's like, oh, honey, could your performance be any more camp? No. I mean, I I think he's... But that, but that, but you know, that is the... That is RTD and RTD's doctor. That is RTD. That's yeah. true. I, I don't... Um, I don't mind leaning into those... If that's the strength, then, hey, go for it. I mean, it's not like the Doctor hasn't been extremely calm. Please stop the honey, the love. I I, I detest those phrases anyway. <laughs> uh, lovey, lovey. It's like all of those things. It, it's so affected. I, I don't. It doesn't feel affected to me. I think there's something. No. I don't know. I don't know. It's one. Of, it's one of these things. Again, you know, just in terms of how special regenerations are, we did a whole series of um, Fusion Patrol podcast episodes on the first post-regeneration episode for every Doctor up to, I don't think we did Peter Capaldi onwards. And Well, we did the episodes, so yeah. <clears throat> well, we did, the, we did the episodes. What we were looking at was, because, again, how special the regeneration Retroactively, is. Retroactively, yeah, that's true. But it was looking back at the Doctor's era and seeing... How did their initial performance actually foreshadow the way they they play the Doctor and the kind of tone and style of their performance throughout their run? It'll be interesting to see how that works out for Gatwa. It's also a question for me. We always looked at the first episode in which they were the Doctor in, but and you know you you discount the one in which they regenerated, but I don't know if you can discount it this time because. This isn't just a uh, one-line thing. This isn't a, just a kind of, oh, new teeth, or, you know, you seem a very opinionated woman. I know, awesome. no, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's actually his proper first 20 minutes. But I, I also feel like we can't really judge him on this. But I already yeah. am. I, 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 and I don't think we can, frankly, we're not going to be able to judge him on a Christmas special either. Maybe not. Maybe not, but uh, I don't know. Bring it on. I'm glad we don't. I'm glad, given how I feel about this episode, we don't have to wait more than, well, much more than two weeks. No. Do you have anything else? I've got a couple of production things, very, very brief things. One of which is the big letters at the end. That's a very RTD thing, but we've got rid of those. Don't like it. Never mind. Um, and the music again I was kind of talking about having. Murray Gold back in the past two episodes and this time I, I thought Wild Blue Yonder was kind of quite different and I liked it this time it sort of felt a bit different for Doctor Who but it also sounded exactly like his score for years and years which was kind of maybe tying into the themes around the way in which the population were behaving and thinking they were right about everything but I did I did like his 
15th Doctor theme. I'm assuming we're going to hear that quite a lot, so it's a good thing. I didn't pick it up until uh, I listened to the commentary. And I say, oh, you can hear the shooties theme, I think is actually what RTD called it. Uh, there at the at the end. And so when I watched it again after listening to the commentary, I did hear it. And what I hear is a remix of I Am The Doctor. I don't think it's I Am The Doctor. Listen to it again. That might, I, it's missing a few notes here and there. It's, it's not, it's not exact, but it's, it's a retread. It's the right of notes, I am the just doctor. not necessarily in the right order. It's a retread of it with different instrumentation and some changes to the, it's like I harmony. Like it. it's, it's the same tune, but it's different. It's, it's, yeah. It, it I'm not was, saying I like it like, better oh, than I am the doctor. I'm saying it's different than I like it. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> retread. <laughs> Hopefully it'll it'll maybe it'll grow on me. I, I didn't dislike it. I just like yeah. Okay, I've heard it before. Just it's like when my kids are on their keyboard and they they never play anything twice the same. But you can change the instrument and then it's a whole different tune, even though it's not. All right. Well, the the thing is, it will be two weeks. Uh, this one will go out to our patrons just as fast as I can get it edited. Uh, it'll go out to our. Uh, if you're hearing it now, it's going out to you on the 16th of December. Yay. Uh, I'm just going to say next Unless week we'll be looking at the Underwater day. Menace. How often can we get to say next week we're going to be listening to the Underwater Menace? Or indeed say what we're going to be listening to next week at any time with the listeners. So anyway, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation and find other content at fusionpatrol.com. And we're back on social media, where you can also follow us on Mastodon and the Fediverse. Our address is at podcast at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we will be looking at the 2023 animated recreation of Doctor Who, The Underwater Menace. When we compare the differing reconstructions from this and the previous release, we discussed whether changes in the colour version of the animation contradict the dialogue, as well as the sexy fish people, and we argue over our favourite colour choice for the Doctor Who original titles. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.